Thank you for downloading this message from Roots Community Church. We pray that you are encouraged by the word. If you're looking for more information, please visit us at rccphoenix.com. Growing up as a kid, I always, I hate to use the word hate for it, did not like when people would get up and do sermons, preachers would preach, and they would tell you all the things you should do and never tell you how to do it. They would say, read your Bible more. They would say, pray without ceasing. They would say, forgive others. They would say, avoid temptation. All stuff we know. You just kind of know on a very rudimentary level once you start getting interested in God. But they never told you how to do it. Well, tonight, hopefully, some of the stuff that I'm going to share with you tonight, things that I use in my own life and things that are very scriptural, will help you in this process. And what we're going to focus tonight is on the latter of everything I just said, and that is temptation. It is 100% unavoidable. No matter what we do in our lives to try to stay away from temptations, they will hit us in an array of different styles, fashions, time points in our lives. They will be around. So I want to talk a little bit about that. Now, coming tonight, I'm coming as a behaviorist. And really all that means is just my education background is in behavioral studies, which basically is just manipulating the environment for a desired outcome. That makes it simple. You do something good, you get reinforcement for it, and eventually that reinforcement's faded out. You just want to do it good because it's the right thing to do. It's socially valid. Psychologists are more on the cognitive side. They think about what's inside of you, past events that might shape the way you think or act or behave. Every once in a while, both sides come together in agreement on something, though they're oftentimes rivals. And that is what we're going to talk about tonight, that agreement. We're going to talk about something that is called the behavior chain. So I have notes for you guys. Um, if you look at them, you're going to see a little bit of a kind of a diagram, I guess, if you want to put it that way there. It's where your circles are. Uh, before we get into that, I want to focus on a scripture tonight. We're going to examine this scripture. This is Matthew 6, 13. Lead us not into, excuse me, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil ones. Matthew 6, 13. So that is a scripture that probably most of us have read here many, many times in our life. It's something that is prayed quite often. But there's two schools of thoughts on this. So the first school of thought is the verses saying, um, don't take us to any places where we might be tempted. Keep us away from that. All right, lead us not into those temptations. Where other scholars will say, actually what this is saying is when the temptations come, deliver us from those. Don't let us lead into them and let those foster and turn into bad things. My answer is yes, <laughs> both correct. It's exactly what it is on both sides of those. So we're gonna focus a little bit on that tonight. So in your diagram, you'll see what psychologists call the behavior chain. This is a very well-known diagram here. This is, this is the four processes between the time an event starts and the time an event ends, which is basically the trigger of the event to the consequence of the event and how that affects us. So the word trigger gets thrown out a lot. We hear that now a lot. People will just say, that's a trigger for me. That's a trigger. True. Triggers have always existed. That's not something new. It's actually a trigger like on a gun. You have to pull the trigger to start the whole process for the bullet to fire. That's the very beginning stage of something. So we're going to focus on the trigger. Here it states, the stage in which an event, feeling, or thing starts the thought process. I put an example here. The smell of cinnamon starts the thought process on how much you love cinnamon rolls. We've always been there. We've always, we've always go to that kind of place where we get that smell or that feeling or emotion that brings something back. When I was a kid, 
My mom, I could just about refuse anything she made except chicken fried steak. And if I walked in the house, that trigger, I was there waiting in the kitchen until she was done <laughs> because I knew what was coming. My behavior was I would go and wait and I would eat and the consequence was, was I overate too much of it. So <laughs> that was my thought process. Everybody has triggers every day, they're unavoidable. Last week I was triggered when Matt preached a lesson about me and my Star Wars cosplay <laughs> and all my people around me. Uh, it made me think about how great Star Wars communities are. So uh, thank you, Matt, I appreciate that. But, and don't let him fool you. If you can work a Yoda quote into your sermon, you are a Star Wars nerd. So Matt, you're one of us. <laughs> so, but tonight we're gonna kind of just talk about what a trigger is and how that starts. Um, once that behavior process has started with the trigger, um, we can see that we can have a positive or negative effect on it. And I want to take an example from the Bible. So David is probably, I can't really think of a better example of somebody who gave into this process, was tempted, made the wrong choice than King David did. Now, we know the story about David. He was on his roof, saw Bathsheba. He had a, a child with her out of, uh, out of wedlock, ended up having her husband killed, the whole process to that story. But I want to break that down into different stages for you. So in the beginning stage, in the trigger stage, we see the example in the Bible when David sees Bathsheba. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 2. One evening, David got up from his bed, strolled around the roof of the palace, and from the roof he saw a woman bathing, a very beautiful woman. Now there's some debate, and we'll talk about it in just a little bit, about whether or not David knew that People were already bathing on top of their roofs. There's some historians that believe this is actually a pretty common practice at the time because of privacy. People lived in the same domiciles. Some would go to the roof to bathe to get away from everybody else, but we'll get into that in a second. That is the trigger stage. David sees a beautiful woman. David is very used to getting everything he wants in life. He is the king. If he sees it, he wants it, he gets it. And so when he sees Bathsheba, he says, she is beautiful. Then that brings him into the second thought of the process. And what I'm going to do here is I'm going to place these as we talk on my little tent stand here. So I don't know if it'll stick up or not. I'll do my best here. This is what we do at, uh, whoops, at work with events when we're teaching. So we have our trigger stage. That was David seeing the beautiful woman while he was standing on the roof. Which leads into our next process here, the thought process. Okay. Trigger leads into thought. So what the thought stage is, it's the stage in which our thoughts can justify our neg negative behavior or control it. Now, just like not all triggers are bad, not all thoughts are bad, obviously. And sometimes when bad or negative triggers happen, good thoughts can happen saying, nope, I don't want to do this. But in this example here, David follows through. Second Samuel 11.3, David sent someone to find out about her. He's thinking, Hmm, who is this person I'd like to get to know? The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Now, David is in the thought process of the behavior chain right now. He can go one of two ways. He can say, oh, she's married, off limits, I'm done with this. Good night, everybody, I'm going to bed. Or he can follow through on what his actions were. And that's what he does which leads him into the next one, which is the behavior stage that we have here. Now in psychology terms, the behavior stage are the actions you take or don't take, which ultimately become habits. 
David already had a habit. His habit is getting anything he wanted. He had power. He had control. Any desire he wanted was his. So he already had a habit. And this is playing into his habit of getting what he wants. 2 Samuel 11.4, Then David sent messengers to get her, and she came to him, and he slept with her. Right there. The trigger, the thought, and the behavior. Now, in psychology terms, they would look at this, and this is textbook. Everything he did is textbook here. But the one thing that gets left out is the consequence. Now, in psychology, there definitely is a consequence stage. Yes, that's lowercase and uppercase to make sure it all fits on that paper before everybody <laughs> corrects me with that. There is a consequence stage in psychology, of course, but there is a spiritual consequence in the story of David. Because what David does as a consequence of all this is he not only has a child with a woman who's not his wife, lies to have that man think that it's his child, then sends that man to war so that he will be killed so that he can cover everything up, and in the process is punished by God by taking his son's life. Consequence. David lost favor in the eyes of his God as a consequence, a spiritual consequence. Now, psychologists would look at this and say, oh, that's bad consequence. It's emotional consequence. It's coming, and you're going to have to live with that the rest of your life. What a terrible event. Yes. But David was dealing with an issue of his soul at the time. And that is where temptation lies with us. It's important to realize, excuse me, sorry, my notes here. It's important to realize that all temptations start with a trigger, and those, are, and those triggers are identifiable. So as I do my little lecture for you guys right now, <laughs> before we get into those, I again want to reiterate that triggers are not always bad. If I walk by a table and there is a Bible sitting on the table, that is a trigger. It triggers me to do one of two things, pick it up and read it, or two, walk past it, and maybe I'll get to it later. But it's a trigger, and it's a good thing. It's a good thing to leave around. Maybe a reminder to tell my wife how much I love her, <laughs> that I put on a mirror or something. That is a trigger to me to do a behavior that leads to a positive consequence for it. So triggers don't have to be a bad thing. But when we get to temptations, triggers are what start them. And that's what we're going to look at today. So I want you to just take one quick minute. I'm not going to tell anybody. This is just for you. I want you to think of one of the biggest temptations you're dealing with in your life. Okay? We don't need to know what it is. It's for you and God. One of the biggest temptations you're dealing with in your life. It might be something that is drug or alcohol related. It might be something that is sexually related. It might be something that uh, has to do with money or finance. Some big temptation in your life. Now I want you to think about what trigger would set that temptation in motion to make you give into it. Think for a quick second. I will tell you my own example. I have struggled severely my whole life with being overweight. It is something that is taking a physical health toll on me. And so things trigger me. They trigger me to get off my diet. They trigger me to eat unhealthy. 
they trigger me to sometimes go on a bender for two days and then afterwards like why did I do all that and it can be something very very small it can be the fact that my mother-in-law brought over something that I did not expect her to bring <laughs> I've controlled the house I've made my own diet everything is good and then my mother-in-law shows up with a plate of enchiladas that is a trigger for me <laughs> Matt agrees all right it's a trigger for me and those triggers make us start to think in different ways my first thought could be I don't want those and then the smell hits me ah there's another trigger for that and then if I don't eat these then I know my daughters are going to clear this plate before I get a chance at it so I better do it now and I better eat them all or else they'll be gone later <laughs> and the plate is finished off it's very very easy to get those triggers now it's kind of a little bit of a humorous thing, but having dealt with it my whole life, it is a big thing for me. And it's something that I'm having to go through the process of trying to remove in my life. So think about those. These are the five different type of identifiable triggers that we deal with. First of all is environmental. That is one that we deal with all the time. Your surroundings or things that are introduced, or I'm sorry, uh, that are introduced to you. The next one is mental. Remembering to do something or how you should act or predicting how things could be. That could be a mental trigger. Somebody drops their wallet on the ground, you open it up and there's $1,500 in it. That's a trigger. What could I do with $1,500? All right, starts the mental process for that. Emotional triggers based on the current state of feeling or feeling about others. Seeing somebody crying might trigger you emotionally to feel sad for them, all right? Or somebody might say something that brings up a memory of a past relative that might bring those feelings about. There's social triggers influenced by how others are acting or participating in an activity, the people around you. That's a social trigger. And then biological triggers, we talked about that. Smell, taste, or touch. Other factories that elicit an involuntary response, call that Pavlovian effect in science. That's where your mouth starts to water if you smell something good and you didn't do anything to make it water. It's just an involuntary act, so that's a biological trigger. But there is good news as triggers happen. Uh, though triggers are temptations and they exist everywhere, there are things that we can do to prevent them from leading to undermining behaviors and negative consequences, okay? So here is where the psychology of all this is going to come in. We are going to talk about ways to help us get through these triggers. Now, I could just tell my mother-in-law not to bring those things to the house <laughs> when I have that thing, but would that be fair for my family? No, it would not. Triggers should never be based on how other people react to your situation. It should be based on how you react to your situation. You shouldn't have everybody else accommodate you because of your triggers. Now, I think it's fair to say, hey, I don't want to eat those, so if you're going to have them, let me know so that I'm not around at that time. That's fair. That's accommodations that people can help make. But saying you need to give this up because I need to give this up isn't necessarily a good thing. Now, it depends. Maybe it's a bad behavior they need to give up too. But if it's something that helps you, you really need to rely on yourself for these. Number one, easiest, it's something we should all be doing right now, prayer. Prayer is a big one. When that trigger comes, that temptation is recognized, and you're still in this thought process, pray. A quick prayer. 
And I was, a, and when I was at camp as a kid, we had somebody that taught us how to pray, and we were all very young. And I remember that prayer went to five minutes, and then it went to 10 minutes, and then it went to 15 minutes. And we all started kind of doing this, like looking around, like, you all seeing this too? <laughs> so 15 minutes, all you guys? Okay. <laughs> we had down. And after 20 minutes, he said, Amen. But what that taught us was if we're in a situation where we need prayer, I ain't got 20 minutes. <laughs> when there's a trigger that's happening that could make me go into a behavior with a consequence, I need to know an arrow prayer straight to the point. All right, God, this just happened and I'm starting to have these thoughts and these feelings and I need you to deliver them from me. Lord, be with me now. Three, four, five seconds in that. You can't always drop to your knees in full-on supplication for a half an hour to pray that God delivers you from a situation. So remember, prayer can be short and sweet. God knows the workings of your heart. God knows the temptations you're facing. And what God is doing is like, it's, I, 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 think, I feel like I use more wrestling <laughs> examples than anybody else. But when I was a kid and you watched the tag team and the guy was getting beat on the ring and the guy's in the corner with his hand raised, like, just tag me in and I'll come and save you. That's what it is with those short prayers. God's like, bring me in in this situation. Bring me in on this trigger. Let me deliver it, but I, I, I need you. I need you to do that. So short and sweet prayers. And then meditation. Meditation is something my wife and I are gonna try to start doing more in our life. Having a time of day where you can push everything out at the end of the day, refocus, give your heart and mind to God and be in the silence from it all. And while that may not happen or help, excuse me, in that moment of the trigger, it can help afterwards to avoid another one. So having that meditation, God, I'm giving the next five minutes to you and only you. The lights are off. The sound is out. My thoughts of the day are from my head. I am focusing on you. Meditation. Now, coincidentally, psychologists do not usually say prayer unless you do have some that are in the field of belief in God. But most of them, will, almost all of them will say meditation is a perfect thing to do. Well, guess what you can do while you're meditating? <laughs> Pray. Praying is one of the best forms of meditation. Being in that calm and quiet and asking God to be with you. Number two here, this is something all psychologists agree on for avoiding those triggers, negative triggers. Control your environment. I put on here, an alcoholic may need to change his route home to avoid driving past the liquor store. Don't expose yourself to places that you know may trigger the temptations you're dealing with. So I put that example for David in here. Some scholars have said that bathing on top of the roof was common privacy. Everybody living in a home, sometimes there were a lot of people in the home, so people would go up to the roof to bathe. Gave them some privacy from that. Now, who do you think has the tallest point in the city? Probably the king standing on top of his palace looking down. So David probably saw a lot of people bathing all the time, all right? He knew that that was probably not a place to be, and especially at night when people are trying to get some extra privacy up there. But he put himself in a place that he shouldn't be, and he saw something he shouldn't see, and it led to this whole chain of events. So still steer clear there. If your temptation is something of a physical nature, maybe you shouldn't be at clubs. Maybe you shouldn't be around people who are promiscuous. Maybe you shouldn't be around people who are going to tell you it's okay to do whatever you want. Go for it. Live your life. Be free. Okay? Don't put yourself in those environments. Don't put yourself in those environments. 
Number three. This is a big one. Prepare and practice your response to temptation ahead of time. I asked you guys to identify what one of your triggers was. So if you already know what it is, it's time to start practicing. Because guess what? It's going to happen. It happens to all of us. Let's take an example. Let's say that I was an alcoholic. And I know that the smell of alcohol is going to trigger me to want to drink some. So what I'm going to do is actually practice in my head that scenario. I smell the alcohol. I want it badly. What am I going to do? I'm going to stamp my foot. I'm going to turn around about face and I'm going to walk away. Sounds silly, right? Mm -hmm. But that's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to stand up and I'm going to practice it and practice it. So that when it comes, I'm not like, I don't know what to do. It smells so good. I want it. It's right there. Nope. I'm going to do what I practice. Stamp, turn around and about face. This is a psychology procedure that's used for avoiding triggers and temptations. This is something that's very effective. And I want to show you here that Jesus used this in the Bible. Luke, the fourth chapter, when the devil tempted him of turning rocks into bread, Jesus was no doubt hungry after 40 days of starving, but he was prepared with the word. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Why? Because Jesus knew his father's word better than anybody else. And he was prepared with an answer. What does the scripture tell us? Be prepared with a response. Be prepared with an answer for it. So when those triggers come, I already know what to do. I don't need to be flustered in the situation. It's right there for me. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Now this one is the next one. Next one is a big one. To narrow down your triggers. For <clears throat> There's so many things out there that can cause you to have negative temptations in your life. So many things. Now, I put on here, we may have dozens of temptations, but narrow down the ones that affect your spiritual life and your family to the big three and focus them on them. Psychologists say pick out the three that are affecting you the most, and once you have those under control, you can start affecting the other little ones that are around those. But what are your big three? Avoiding a second cup of coffee is not as important as avoiding the drug use by not hanging out with known drug dealers. If that makes sense? Okay. I need to cut down on coffee? Yep, sure do. I need to have one less donut this week? Yep, I sure do. But I need to stay away from people that may end up putting me in a place that might be bad or that I may never come back from. That is so much bigger. That is where my focus needs to be. Now in finance, they tell you the other way. They tell you take care of all the little stuff, get those out of the way, and then focus on the big ones. It's the opposite in psychology, dealing with temptations. Focus on your big three, get those under control. Once you do, then you can start handling the other little things out there. Breathing is a huge one, okay? Just breathe. Has anybody here ever heard that? Just take a big deep breath. People tell you that, take a big deep breath. Everybody's shaking their heads, raising their hands. That is a big one, we hear it for everything. When you're dealing with something, take a big deep breath. There's a couple breathing techniques in psychology. Uh, one of the breathing techniques is where you suck in as much air as you can, you hold it for about five seconds, and then you take another breath in, and then you just let it all out, okay? That's one you can try. I'm throwing that one out as a freebie. <laughs> There's a bunch of other ones you can look up and, and do the one that's best for you. But studies show that if you do that five times, it gives you enough time and clarity for seconds to change how you think through it. Just that time breathing, okay? 
I'm taking my benign example here of the enchiladas. <laughs> I'm standing next to them, right? I want to dig into this plate. I take five deep breaths. I really shouldn't eat those. I've been doing good this week. It's just food. It'll be back again. If I eat those, I'm going to go over my calorie count. They're going to taste great, but it's only going to be a moment. It's okay if the family enjoys them, and I don't. The family's great. They're not in the same process I am. Okay, you guys understand? You start taking the breath. You start being able to reason and talk yourself out of it. But in one of those breaths, ask yourself, how is my decision going to affect my family? Not yourself. Please think about that. But how is my decision going to affect my family? Because studies have shown people care far more about how their family is affected in situations than their own selves. Okay. So how is my family going to be affected by me giving in and eating this plate of enchiladas? <laughs> okay. Again, seems silly. But down the line, as my coronary disease kicks in and my life lessens and I'm not there for the people around me and I'm not there to spread the word of God as long there's a real negative consequence to it. How is this going to affect my family? Do you think David, when he was in the midst of all of this trigger, going into his thought process, going into his behavior, do you think he was thinking about the consequence? No. Do you think David was thinking about how is this going to affect my future, my family? How is this going to affect my, my reputation as king? No. He was so mired in the behavior for it that the consequence was never even thought of until afterwards. Take those deep breaths. Think about it. Next one, interrupt the thought process. Again, another psychology trick. This can happen in many ways. We talked about that five-second arrow prayer. We talked about stamping your foot on the ground. Big one is visualizing a stop sign. But don't just visualize it down the road. Visualize it hitting you in the face. Could you imagine riding on your bike and you turn around your shoulder? One time when I was a kid, I had a kite. And I was flying in the park with a kite. I was so happy. The kite was up in the air and I was looking around. I didn't hear my dad yelling, Ryan, turn around. And I turned around into a light pole. <laughs> Broke my nose. <laughs> just a mess of a human being <laughs> afterwards. But that's what that stop sign does. Visualize that stop sign hitting you in the face when you see that. Am I going to get into that? Nope. Nope. It jars you for just a second long enough to where you can take that deep breath and start talking yourself down through that process. And here's the other one. The word no. Audibly saying the word no. That's a caveat. You got to say it out loud. And it might be embarrassing. This little trick that psychologists use, if you're having a restaurant and you hear somebody go, nope, <laughs> they might be on this plan right now. <laughs> they might be dealing with this. No or nope or not today are encouraged for you to say out because it is almost as if someone else is saying it to you. You hear that word, whoa, I actually said that out loud. Okay, that'll stop you. That'll jar you for a second to where you don't have to go into this process here in behavior, but it's got to be audible. Number seven, psychologists recommend changing the atmosphere, and we talked about that. Often the most efficient way to disrupt behavior chain is to just leave. We know the story. 
There was no greater example than Joseph in Genesis 39, 11. But one day when he went, um, went into the house to do his work and none of the men in the house was there in the house with him, she caught him up by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. Joseph, by the blessing of God, had worked his way up into Potiphar's house. And Potiphar was uh, kind of a, a higher up of the Pharaoh at that time. I mean, this, this was a big guy. And Joseph so impressed him that Potiphar really didn't have to do anything. Joseph, you take care of everything. I totally trust you. Potiphar, it says in the scripture, Potiphar knew he was a man of God by Joseph's actions. So Joseph could completely be trusted. But now here's Potiphar's wife. And the scripture says that Joseph was a handsome man and well-built. It says that in there. So she's very tempted by him. She keeps saying, you know, come lie with me. He's like, no, that, I can't do that. You're a married woman. Your husband trusts me. I will not do that. So finally, she grabs him and manhandles him and says, do it. And what does he do? Leaves his coat. I always try to picture out how that is. He's got the robe and he's just like, nope. And he just takes <laughs> off. He just runs. I don't know if she tore it off of him or just very slyly did that magician's move and then just ran. But somehow he got out of there and ran out of the house. And she's left holding his coat. Now, unfortunately, this is what ends up getting him jailed because she lies about it. She's so mad and says that he attacked her, which was totally bogus. But Joseph was tempted. Don't say he wasn't, guys. Don't say he wasn't. He was tempted with something because being an upper in the house of Pharaoh from Potiphar being one of his big advisors there, one of his leaders, his wife was most likely a well-respected, beautiful woman that had a lot of power and a lot of control. And Joseph could have been in her good graces until Potiphar found out and probably had him killed. But he could have. He could have done that. But he didn't. He fled it when it happened. He just got out of there. Change your atmosphere. Now that may be the most uncomfortable thing on the entire list because we talked about those social triggers. You walk into a party, everybody's drinking, okay? And that's what you're dealing with is your trigger. How on earth do you just turn around and walk out? I would seem so rude. They would be looking at me. They would be saying, what is this guy doing? He just came and he just turned around and then I'm going to have to explain my whole thing and then how I'm an alcoholic and how I can't be around that. I can't. Nope, you don't need to do that. Hey, I just wanted to come say hi, see you guys, but I have some other stuff I needed to do. So you guys have a great party. No, 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 stay. Oh, man, you guys are having a blast here. You don't need me. I'm going to go over here. Matt said before, if you need an excuse, <laughs> call one of us. We'll call and say, hey, I need you right now. Oh, man, my buddy needs me. I got to go. Get out of the situation, leave. Because sometimes you don't know what you're walking into. Sometimes you don't know what you're walking into in your own home. What kind of triggers and temptations are lying through that door for you? If you walk in and your family is doing something that is going to directly contribute to your downfall, you need to leave. Hey, we've already talked about that. I've already told you what that does to me. I gotta go, all right? When you're done, give me a call. That's okay. If your family doesn't respect you enough, there's a lot of other things we need to talk about for that, but that's okay. Sometimes you don't understand what you're walking into at work. If my trigger is losing my temper, which thankfully it's not, because boy, would I be in some bad shape at my job, <laughs> then, be prepared when you walk through that door. 
I might walk into a job where people are yelling at me, cursing at me, people calling out. What am I going to do before I get there? Am I going to pray? Am I going to meditate? Am I going to be at peace with God? Am I going to understand that he's going to take care of this when I'm faced with that temptation to get angry and yell and be spiteful and to say things to people that make myself feel better and make them feel belittled and then afterwards feel terrible about it? Or do I come in with a headset to serve as Christ for that? Change your atmosphere. And that also means the atmosphere that is right here around you. Your atmosphere. How do you present to others? Are you a trigger for other people? Maybe you are. Maybe you're a trigger in a good way. Oh, here comes that Christian again. Here he comes. He's going to tell me not to do that. He's going to tell me he can't go hang out. It's going to be like, you know what, guys? Let's just, let's just go away. Let's leave him alone. Guess what? That just saved you from being put in a terrible situation. All right? It's not wrong to be a good trigger to other people. But are you asking people to do things that will harm them? Are you being a trigger to them? Because, see, here's the thing. We have our chain, right? Our trigger, our thought, our behavior, and our consequence most of us get to a point where we've done something so many times that's triggered us and we've given in that this part gets completely removed in the process. The trigger leads to the behavior and it leads to the consequence. There are times in my own struggle of eating, I would have just shroop, <laughs> picked it straight up, never thought about it, been done with it, and afterwards felt terrible about myself because this part is missing. See, this part is where God is. Right here. Yes, your behavior afterwards is where you are as a Christian and you show that to others, but that can't exist without this. And if this is removed from the chain, from the behavior chain, then we're going straight from our trigger into the behavior, into the consequence, and we never bring God into it. We never bring him in. So all these little psychology tips and tricks, these behaviors tips and tricks that we put in are for one reason, to get you doing this more when it comes to temptation. To get you thinking more before you give in. Am I still going to mess up and eat that enchilada? I guarantee it's going to happen. <laughs> I guarantee at some point it might be something else. Because what I can also do, and probably what a lot of you guys are good at doing, is negotiating. That's part of the thought process. Stop being so good at negotiating. <laughs> we do that with our kids, right? We'll give you a little bit of this, as long as you don't do that. Back and forth. Yep, parents, you know exactly what I'm talking about. All right? But we do it with ourselves. I'm going to give in this time, but this is the last time. Been there, guys. Been there. I will not do it again until the next day rolls around. <laughs> and then it's going to be the last time. Or I'm only going to eat half this plate of enchiladas over here. Still way over my calories. Still way too much for one person to eat. But at least I didn't eat it all. Okay? Negotiation. Would we negotiate with God? When we get to heaven and we stand before him, if he were to say to me, Ryan, I asked you to do this, but you didn't do it. Where were you when that person asked for help? Did you give that cup of cold water in my name, say, hey, this is God helping you out? No, but God, I was going to. 
But at that time, I was super busy. So I said, the next time I will help two people out the next time they ask me. Am I going to negotiate with God like that? No, I'm going to hang my head and say, God, you're right. Stop that process. Turn your thoughts to what is going to save you from this. Because if you take out the other two, if you want to simplify it, your thoughts lead to your consequences. Your triggers lead to the effects that come with them. Now, if I see, if I'm an alcoholic and I see alcohol and it makes me sick to my stomach now, that's a great trigger. That's a wonderful trigger. If I'm trying to eat better and the sight of a plate of cookies makes me think I wouldn't waste my time on those after all the work I've done, that is a beautiful consequence to your thought. Or if you're going to go someplace you aren't supposed to go because you were invited by friends and you pull into that parking lot and you turn right back around and pull out, that led to this. And this is always going to be good. If this is rooted in God. That's it. So a psychologist would tell you, very simply put, yeah, follow the reaching process, control your triggers, breathe, meditate more. All great advice. That's all going to help you do it. But if you as believers do not bring in the spirituality of God in it, you're going to lose at it. You're going to lose in the process. There's just some things that can be used to help interrupt the thought process. The problem is when it comes to many temptations, we remove the thought process as we talked about all together. God is ready to forgive our fails. He's ready to forgive us. He's there waiting. The Bible is full of good people that were overcome by their temptations. Let me say that again, very slowly. The Bible is full of good people that were overcome by their temptations or triggers and their behavior chain, like David, Samson, Peter. You want to talk, uh, Samson, you want to talk about a person that needed a new environment no matter where he goes. That man lived on getting drunk and doing the wrong thing. And in the end, he realized what he had done. All of them were able to move past their failures through prayer. What did David do when he realized what he had done? Fell on his face, tore his clothes, begged for mercy from God. What did Samson do when he was chained to those pillars? Prayed to God. And Peter, Peter denied Christ almost to his face, literally. And because of his ask for forgiveness, Jesus built the church on him. Yeah. He was going to be the cornerstone. You're going to be the one that goes on and helps make this thing great. We can move past our failures through prayer. And we also must remember that the scripture is also full of men and women that broke the behavior chain, that made it to this part of the process and didn't move past into the negative they broke that chain people like job curse god and die remember that temptation just give it up god's doing all this to you from his terrible friends that were telling him the worst advice possible and he didn't <coughs> daniel in the heart of the lion's den all he had to do was do what they were asking him and he didn't have to go in there didn't give in shadrach meshach abednego paul and of course, Jesus, which, you know, we read about the devil directly himself 
tempting Jesus through that. They all turn to prayer as their means of breaking the behavior chain and not giving in to temptation. And the words of our Lord Jesus, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So, as we wrap it up right here, what are we going to do tonight to help us from getting into those temptations? Are we going to practice? Are we going to find a way to stop that thought process when it occurs? Are we going to find somebody we can talk to to help us work through it? All fantastic. All great. Pray. Pray. Number one. The one thing in common from all those men and women mentioned, pray. And that will bring you through.